What a joy to be with you this morning. So many wonderful ways the Lord's already met us this morning. Singing and recounting His goodness in Jesus. Sarah, thank you for how you serve, and Karn, how you serve our children, my children. To hear testimonies of how God is working in our midst. In our very midst, the Creator is working. All by grace. All by grace, Josh is here. And all by grace, we open God's word and we humbly ask him like beggars for bread. Father, we're hungry to see you. Will you reveal yourself? So if you would, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter five. And we're gonna be studying verses eight through 10 this morning. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word kindly addressing us this morning. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is life. Holy Spirit, please empower your saint to preach your word effectively. Give us ears to hear your word. Transform our hearts. Make Christ glorious and make our affections abound for you. May we see the grace that you have so richly provided in this text today. Protect our hearts from sin and from temptation, reveal yourself, Lord, in this text. In your name we pray, amen. When I was in college, there was an experience that I had that made me feel really small. I've had that experience before. I've done it once before in my life when I was a boy, but the second time doing it, it still took my breath away. I got out of the van with a couple of my friends and It was really early, I was very tired, no coffee. I just became addicted to coffee probably that year in college. And I'm wondering, what am I doing? It's cold and we get out of the parking lot and we start making our way through the trees and past some rocks and there it was. And my breath was taken away. I got to see the Grand Canyon again. It's huge. It's breathtaking. It's hard to describe. It's, it's perspective giving. And another perspective forming event happened that day for me in college. I'm sitting there, we're standing there in awe of creation that God could do this. I got to see his power displayed, his, his beautiful handiwork displayed. And there are people, I don't have my phone on me, on their phones 
Just looking, it's just like Snapchat and Instagramming and pictures here and there. It's like, you're there, stop taking pictures. Just look at it, it's right there. Like, what are you gonna do? Pictures aren't good enough. You're gonna go home and show to your grandma and look, I was there. But when you were there, you weren't. It's, like, oh, it, it's one of those real uh, bless your heart moments. <laughs> that you would diminish the event by recording it because that recording, that image, that post, no matter how cool the filter is, no matter how many likes you got, no matter what platform it was on, no matter what you know, cool little memo you put on the bottom of the post, it doesn't come close to the real thing. It's a lesson of self-awareness and the lack of it and of misprioritizing what matters. And that's what the second commandment is for us this morning. The second commandment is a call to self-awareness and a properly placed priority, a self-awareness that of our desires to make idols and to worship false gods and to prioritize the proper manner of our worship. For many, the second commandment If you read the 10 before we got here, you're going, oh my goodness, like this is just so different than the other ones. It it almost, it's so far out there. It seems unrelated in a sense. It's archaic or belonging to a previous civilization. You know, typically this commandment can be fielded in two ways, either like a neglect or a hot take. Generally ignoring it or having some vague appreciation for it or for some Second commandment violations are everywhere. You know, like what, we're in the fifth Sunday, guys. We got kids in here. What if during a sermon on the second commandment, your child starts drawing a stick figure family and then they decide to draw a stick figure of Jesus next to your family? Was that a second commandment violation? Do you have to take your kid out and discipline him? What does it mean to honor this commandment? What what does God's word mean for us today? not just for our preferences or our opinions. How does God's word shape our opinions or preferences? How does it shape our theological understanding of God and worship? Well, how we get there is first understanding where we are. These verses that we're studying this morning sit within the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments can be broken into two groups of commandments. The first group talking about how we are to love and worship God. And the second is talking about how we are to love God by loving our neighbor better. Now, the first commandment speaks about the exclusiveness of our worship. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment talks about the manner of that exclusive worship. Both the first and the second commandment in many ways are dealing with the very same issue, idols. Now, many of you might have just kind of breathed a, good for me, no wooden idols in my pocket today. Nobody's bowing down to the oak tree in my backyard. I think I'm good, Caleb. But idols are things that take our affections that belong to God. Idols of where you find security and joy. Let's bring a little bit closer to home here. 
the money your job supplies you, the lifestyle that you can get, the vaccine that you took that promised security that only the Lord can promise, the political party that is fixing your world one promise at a time, those friends that adore you and need you, the organization that would fall apart if you were removed and the the pride it gives you to know that you're not only valuable, but you're invaluable, you're indispensable. The security that we can find in our family or the peace in our home or the success of our children. I think the scariest idol of all though is the worshiping of a God that we think is God but is not the God of the Bible. That's the idol that terrifies me. Because you, you might not be worshiping your oak tree in your backyard, but how many times have you talked to a church member or you've been in community group or you've been around the Thanksgiving table with a, a Christian family member and they say something like, well, I like to think of God like this. Brothers and sisters, that is the second commandment. J.I. Packer says this, no statement stating, this is how I like to think of God, should ever be trusted. An imagined God will always be quite imaginary and unreal. A God of our imagination is an idol. And that's what I want to place in front of us this morning. That's the relevancy of this command. Which God do you serve? But furthermore, how do you worship God? Do you meet God where he's found or do you run to a place that you would prefer to find him? Because if you do that, you will not find him. Which leads me to the main point of this morning's passage. The manner, the manner in which we worship God matters and has graciously been revealed to God's people. The manner in which we worship God matters and has graciously been revealed to God's people. Just from the get-go, we're gonna say this over and over again as we go through these 10 commandments. If you think at all that these commandments are a to-do list for you to do, 10 things, there's, I had my annual goals, but now I have 10 new annual goals, which is to keep these things perfectly. Brother or sister, you are going to toil and struggle all year and, and end up in a depression because these, these commandments are, are a response to grace. We don't do these to receive grace. We have to remember where they're placed. We're, we're, we're trying to love God and worship God, but this happened after the Red Sea. God has saved a people, love already bestowed, grace already poured out. The streams of grace that we sang We are in that lazy river. We're just enjoying God's grace going down and he gives these commands to his people. This morning's outline is very simple. Any Baptist in the room will give an amen because they're alliterated. We got the prohibition, the principle, and the promise. The prohibition, the principle, and the promise. So let's dive into point one, the prohibition, which is verses eight and nine, verses eight and nine. Let's look at the command again at what's being prohibited. I'll give you a little summary as you're looking. We're not to make a carved image in the likeness from anything in heaven, on earth, or on the water. We're not to bow down to them. 
We're not to serve them. We're not to worship them, all right? So a carved image doesn't only include idols like the ones we heard about last week with the Philistine deity Dagon, but pictures of God, imaginations of God. The first question we have to ask about this commandment is what, is it, what did it mean in Canaan when Moses was writing this, when God was speaking to them, and then what did it mean specifically for Israel? For every surrounding nation state and every religion that Israel would be encountering and observing from afar, this is how people worshiped God. Like this was, this was it. This is, this is how you do it. You, you had the nature of religion in the ancient Near East to treasure and serve a God was to carve an image, put that in your house, and you bow down to it along with the other deities. You got one for the field, you got one for the rain, you want to have a kid, here's another one. And you carve the images and you would bow down and worship them. And, and what, what the graven image was a means to channel, get this, is a means to channel the revelation, the power, and the presence of said deity or deities. Furthermore, it's not just to channel these things. It, it, it's also, I mean, just very different. You channeled them for selfish gains. It was, gods were genies to garner benefits and fix problems. I need grain. Here's my God. I need water. I need children. And so it was a very selfish and, and very um, you-centered religion. You could carry your God around. You could manipulate, ma- manipulate your God by having him here. And what Moses is doing and what God is saying in the second commandment isn't only don't worship like them. He's also saying God is not like that at all. He's teaching us that God's nothing like those gods, that he's Yahweh is categorically different and other. He's nothing like the deities you've seen in Canaan or in Egypt the creator's presence is not manipulated or channeled through created things. He doesn't speak through handcrafted images. You don't get cl- a closeness or proximity and relationship with God through a created image. Our God is not like this. That's why we don't have crucifixes. He's not an image or an icon. I don't hold on to this thing and think, oh, God's with me. That's not where Jesus is. He's seated on his throne. There's two characteristic reasons why images fall short and why Israel and we are prohibited from making and serving card images or having these imaginations of God. Images categorically fall short. And again, Yahweh is categorically greater. The picture doesn't come close to the Grand Canyon. No matter how great that picture is, no matter what filter you use, no matter how you dress it up, it is a picture. And it falls short of the grandeur, the weight, and the worthiness of our God. Images in our imaginations fall short. Firstly, think about this. They're finite. They're created. They have a starting point. And and thus, they're making an outlandish claim. This little finite created thing is making the outlandish claim of defining and teaching us and representing the infinite eternal, transcendent God that we serve. The arrogance of images, whether we're talking about idols or their applications today. But not only of that, think about this. It's a reversal of roles. There is a clear and holy distinction between creature and creator, creator and creation. If you walked away 
with just this. Guys, you won the game. The creator-creature distinction is huge. And so when we as creatures create an image of the creator, we're no longer acting as a creature. We're acting as a creator. And as with all idols, isn't it a little ironic how closely they look like us? So when we make images, we're making God in our likeness. Think about Genesis 2, let us make man in our image and likeness and making images, it's a reversal of this. So when we make images, when someone says, when I think of God, I like to think of him like this, that is you, dear brother or sister, making an image in your likeness of the infinite, transcendent, eternal God because that thought is based on imagination and that's not how God has disclosed himself to be. Images fall short because God discloses himself to us. We require, in order for us as creatures to understand the creator, he has to reveal that. We don't get to make revelation of God. We won't understand God unless God talks. We will be lost in a sea of ignorance unless God pulls us out of darkness and reveals light. How many times is that said in various places in our Bibles? Once in darkness, now in light. You were once not a people, now you are a people. Why? Because God spoke. So when we make things and images to look at, to define God, think about this. We're going against the culture of Christianity. We're going against the culture of God's people. It not only goes against what God prescribes, we just categorically, the way we talk about God, the way we think about God is based here. We don't come together and there's, there, there's a pulpit at the center of this room. Why is there a pulpit at the center of this room and not to the side? Why is there not pictures of, of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And like, why, why, why? Because God speaks through his word, not images. He's given us his word. He's revealed himself through his word. J.I. Packer again says this, how should we keep this one? By reigning in our disordered imaginations and reverently accepting that God is as he says he is. He is the Lord. He defines himself We don't define him, he defines us. So in not trying to make images in 2023, like the rest of the world does, and understanding that images are more than just, you know, pocket pictures, what is it, are we allowed to have pictures? (laughs) Maybe maybe finally you guys are like, yes, finally, this is the question I have. What, am I allowed, do I have to take down the picture of Jesus in my bathroom, you know, or am I allowed to, do I have to throw away the children's storybook Bible or whatever it is? To answer that question, I want you to look at the logic of that commandment. Look with me. If all pictures are forbidden of God, then all forms of art and pictures are also forbidden. It says, make no carved images of anything in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. All right, well, that, that takes out everything. 
But it doesn't make sense until you go to the other part of the commandment, which is bow down and serve and worship them, all right? So you're safe. Everybody can, we can breathe together. We're good. The prohibition of images from heaven and earth and only under the sea only makes sense when you read it in total. We don't worship through the channel of images. But, oh, let me, let me say this. One reason why we know that is also biblical examples. The tabernacle, pictures. The mer- the, okay, so the Ark of the Covenant, you have two cherubim guarding the mercy seat. Those are images of heaven. When you think about Solomon's temple and, and all the descriptions that are given uh, in, in the historical uh, books about the, the art of trees and things that are recalling the, the Garden of Eden, again, if all images of God are forbidden, then all images, period, are. But the shortcomings for today could look something like this. I, I've heard this said to me in multiple places by multiple people. You know, The Chosen, that TV show, it really helps me understand God. Or God now makes sense to me now that I've watched The Passion of the Christ. Or I've been to many churches and sat either as a member or in staff meetings where, you know, hey guys, we need to have skits during Easter and Christmas. We're going to have unchurched people there and no one's going to get the sermon. And so we got to make God look great. We got, we got to help them understand God through this skit. That's the second commandment, that you would create things to define and depict who he is. All imaginations fall short because creatures cannot define the creator. We require God's revelation to make sense. And he is speaking, church. He's speaking. We literally can be at the Grand Canyon and things like that, that, that you're sitting in a church staff meeting. We got a great Instagram post. The Grand Canyon's right there. God is speaking to us. He's, he is a communicative God. All we have to do, as Quinn said, turn our ears on. The issue is worship. And this, this is my, my qualifier. There is nothing wrong with The Chosen, wonderful TV show. There's nothing wrong with The Passion or church skits during Easter or a portrait of Jesus or flannel graphs or children's storybook Bibles or evangelicubes or whatever it is. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when we start attributing the revelation and the work of God and the presence of God with these images or role plays, when we start to say, God's there. And when images start to captivate our affections for God, God has given us his word. His word is life, not images. And we are regularly tempted as a people to trust our eyes more than our ears when it comes to what we think of God, to make him like us or to try to define him by something lesser. So where do we hear God? Where do we find God? Where is he revealing himself? Brings us to point two, the principle. The principle behind this, where do we find God? First, we find him in his word. We find him in his word. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 11, or it should be on the screen. 
And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you. He spoke out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to form. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going over to possess. Church, how does God reveal himself? Through words. Why are we not to make images? Because he's given us something better. He's given us his words. God's power, his nature, his attributes, his covenant are seen in words. Think about Genesis 1. He spoke and creation out of nothing, ex nihilo, nothing came into existence. You think about how God spoke to Moses, how he just spoke to Israel on the mountain how God spoke to his people through the prophets. He wasn't like some Greek mythological God that when he's angry with his people, he'll come down and you know, rough them up. No, God sent the prophets and they said, thus saith the Lord, because God's word was enough. That's the benchmark, nothing else. You know who's a great example of this in the Old Testament is Solomon, King Solomon. Think about that guy. That guy, son of David, Check, awesome. He's a king, great. He built the temple for God. What a guy. He led Israel into the golden years of the United Kingdom. Wonderful. This guy is so religious. He's wonderful. He's, he's gotta be doing great. He's living in Jerusalem. You see, I can see the temple. I can see God's over there. And I built that for him. And it has the Ark of the Covenant. Look how close I am to God. But what does scripture say about Solomon's account? Solomon divided the kingdom because he had many wives, many horses, much gold. Disobeying God's word found in Deuteronomy 17 where Moses says, when you get a king, make sure that he doesn't get many wives, many horses, and much gold. The story of Solomon raises the question, Solomon, were you listening to the Lord? To borrow Quinn again, did you turn your ears on? Did you turn your ears on? God speaks and that's how we know who he is. As Matthew very quickly talked about last week, these 10 commandments, they not only have negatives, they have positives to them as well. The positives for this command is that God speaks, that he's knowable, that he's given us his very words. What a comfort that is. Isn't that wonderful that he's speaking and that he's knowable and he wants to be known? Are you struggling with worry this morning? Anybody? Are you running from the Lord because of a guilty conscience? Don't think that he'll listen to you? Do you think God's taken a vacation from the affairs of your life? Are you downcast? Do you feel alone in the middle of the night while everybody else is peacefully sleeping? You lie awake looking at the ceiling, thinking about everything 
that's going on and how lonely you are in a world full of people? Do you feel like your world is a collection of misfit, poor decisions that's landed you in a place where you don't belong? Brothers and sisters, God is speaking and he's speaking to you in his word. But he doesn't only just speak in his word. The word isn't the end. That's, it's prized. It is the scepter of God's rule, but it reflects. We read it and it points. It points to God's glory, but it points to his son. Which brings us to the other principle at play here. The word of God points us to Christ, who is the word of God made flesh. The beautiful relationship in its fulfillment to the New Testament is found that in Christ, that God didn't contradict himself. He speaks through words and Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He's the very revelation of God. To behold Jesus is to hear God. It's to see God. And over and over in the gospels, you read, You've heard it said, but I say to you, not only is that Jesus being a great rabbi, that's him being God. That's him being Yahweh, our God. Think about how, how Jesus uses his words. When the disciples are scared in the boat because of the storm, and Jesus says, peace, peace, be still, the storm. And creation listens to the creator. There's that distinction again creator, creature, distinction. Think about the greatest words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished, declared in word, and God had victory over sin and death. But not only is Jesus the word made flesh, he is the image of the invisible God. We just studied this in Colossians church, so no need for much reminder Remember all those reasons why images fall short? They're finite, they're arrogant to claim that they, they can encapsulate the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Why do we resist our imaginings of God? Because God gave us something so much greater in Jesus. In him we see the invisible God. What is the proper manner of our worship? We listen with our ears so that we can behold Christ with faith. But we must continue one step further. If you want to worship God properly, remember the first commandment, we must worship him exclusively. And that changes not one bit when it comes to to Jesus. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Isn't that crazy? When you, when you pull a string in your Bible in one place, it just seems like it's pulling on another side. It's like, did you orchestrate that? Yes. Isn't it? That's, that's the beauty of the inspiration of Scripture. God himself inspiring these words and connecting them all over the place. 
And the point is this, that Jesus Christ is the privileged, exclusive means and manner of our worship to God. If you hear some person just talk about God and how much they know God, and they don't talk about God's word, and they don't talk about God's Christ, they don't talk about Jesus Christ, you don't know you don't know God. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus. But to take it a step further, underneath all this, we know God through his word. His word makes Christ glorious, but is it, how, do we, how do we apply it? It's through faith. That's the current underneath all of this. There's no greater place than Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, really quickly. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. My goodness, again, just, I I didn't plan it. That is the Lord's word going forth. The manner in which we worship God is through his word, with his Christ, by faith, not by sight. That's why, again, Christians, we don't like, the reason why we're not about images is because we, we got, we're over here at the Grand Canyon. I don't need to go over there. Have fun on Instagram. I've got this. It's also, faith is also the way in which the gospel goes forth. That's how, that's how people know Jesus. You want to talk about the Easter Christmas situation to bring that back up? It's by the word of God being proclaimed. Romans 10, verse 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Place their faith in. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what has been heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ saving faith comes Not from seeing, but from hearing. And you want to know why we make such a a point at this church to preach the word of God every Sunday? Why we believe what happens behind this holy desk every week is the highlight of all ministry at Kingsway Community Church? Because God makes himself known, gloriously known, through the preaching of his word. And church, you want to know what God is like Cherish the word of God being faithfully exposited week by week. We are at the Grand Canyon when we listen to God with faith. When we're looking at a picture, when we look at images of our imaginations, it falls short. But note with me that the commandment doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just tell us what not to do and infer what we should do. And we should treasure God's word and we should treasure Christ and behold him as glorious and, and live by faith and not by sight. 
There's also implications here. There is a promise that God gives. Which brings us to our third point. Look with me at verse 9b, the second half through verse 10. Moses gives the people the grounding for this command, the warning that should be heeded and the promise for those who keep it and for those who disobey it. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Before you consider breaking these commands, consider that your partner in this relationship, the Lord, is a jealous God. If you claim to be in a relationship with God, that you don't worship him exclusively, and you don't worship him in the manner that he has commanded, you are putting yourself at odds with creator God. If you choose to worship a God of your imaginations, this verse says that you hate God. Look at it. It says that you hate God. Why is it so strong? That is, that's a lot of sauce there. Because the God of your imagination is in fact a different God. You're breaking the first commandment by doing this. And so when this verse says that God's jealous, it's speaking to the exclusivity of God and the transcendence of God above all else. God doesn't have other partners. He's exclusively yours. He loves you. For his glory, his primary initiative, he saved you. He didn't lead the Philistines out of Egypt. He led you, Israel. He died for you, Christian, on the cross so that he would be an exclusive, privileged relationship with you. He's the most valued and beautiful being in all the universe. The Lord redeemed you so that you might enjoy him exclusively and that you might have eternal joy. So jealousy isn't pettiness. It's, it, it, it's the rightful position and attitude of the creator. He doesn't take second place. That's what it is. He does not take second place. His jealousy is also his commitment to his people. It's a commitment to his people and his love for the people. Remember where we're at. We've been saved from Egypt. We've gone through the Red Sea. God's led us through the wilderness. Agabashan's been mentioned like a dozen times. This jealousy that we see in the second commandment is the endearing love of God to a needy people, a needy people. God's not ignorant of Israel's sin He's not ignorant of your sin, Christian. Maybe you're in here and I, man, I get this. The imposter syndrome, you look to your left, you look to your right. Man, all these people have their stuff together and I'm, I'm struggling. Newsflash, everyone's struggling. There's not one person I've met that isn't struggling with something today, this moment. And God sees that and he loves you, church, Christian, individual, that mess you're bringing in into Kingsway, the mess that you're gonna take home, God loves you. And he died so that he could have you. You know, even, even with the Holy Spirit, I'm prone to unfaithfulness. I had a dog once that you open the back gate. I mean, that, see you later. <laughs> I lost my dog. Um, no, he came back. But um, like that dog, if God's grace, that fence, does not restrain my heart, I will run to sin. Praise be to God for his grace. So rather than a petty insecurity, 
It speaks to God's unchanging commitment due to the affections he has for you, church. As you sit there and you hear God is jealous, I'm jealous for my wife because I love her fiercely. God is jealous for you, beloved, because he loves you in Christ. And that's the Christian walk. We hold that truth and we go, no way (laughs) until we die. There's no way it's that good. Only a jealous God would send himself to die on a cross for you. So that today, as we walk out with whatever we have in our hands, we have strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. When, when we come with faith to God's word and we behold God in the face of Christ, we see God. But as we wrap up this text, I want you to look with me really quickly at the, the promise specifically that God gives. He promises to visit iniquities and to show his love. Now, for anybody, there, this, 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 I hope this doesn't come as a shocker. There, there, this is figurative language here. This isn't generational sin. It, what, what your granddaddy did, you know, he lied about the cologne he was wearing. That doesn't mean that you, you're going to now lie about the cologne you're wearing for the rest of your life or, or that your grandmother struggled with bitterness, so now you're going to struggle with bitterness. Each man and woman and children's sin is their own. The sins of the father do not pass on to the son. If that's something that might be new to you, first off, God doesn't tempt you to sin. It wasn't like that just passed on and he gave that to you, James 1. But secondly, you want to look at Ezekiel 18. Because it speaks very, very directly against this. What Moses is using is a figurative tool that there's no neutrality when you disobey God's commandments. It's not like, hey, you know, some people go to therapy because they don't have a good paradigm for life. And so I don't go to therapy. And, and some people need Jesus because they need a paradigm for life. But I'm good over here. I don't need Jesus. That's not the category that scripture or this text gives us. Everyone is called to bend the knee and worship God exclusively in the manner that he has required. And if you don't, there are eternal consequences. He will visit those who are unrighteous and he will visit those who are righteous and obey. There is judgment. This is really cool. There is judgment for both parties. He judges the Christian and says, you are righteous based off the merits of Christ. Welcome to eternal life. And he judges the the actions of the unrighteous. And he says, by your own merit, you stand condemned. You stand condemned due to Adam's sin. A Christless eternity for you. But that doesn't have to be your story. If you do not know Christ this morning, that does not have to be your story. I beg you, please don't make that your story. Fight it today. Come today. Bend the knee today. Stop suffering in sin today. Repent and turn to God because this is, the, this is the figurative benefit of this verse. Notice the contrast. Three and four generations, 1,000, 1,000, loving kindness for 1,000. That's eternal life. That's what, it's, that's what it's getting at. God will visit the unrighteous, 
but he delights in showing love. The good news of this passage is that he delights to show love to those who worship him. And the good news for those who do not know that all you have to do is turn. Hear God in his word. Behold God in the face of Christ and know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't have to do a dance. You don't have to do a rain dance like Canaanites would be doing. You have to repent and belief. The price is nothing. So as we look to God this week, as we look to ponder the Ten Commandments, what does it mean to exclusively worship God and in the manner that he requires? As we look to stir our soul's affection for God and worship God properly, as you fight for faith, church, remember, as you go out, with whatever you're going through, God is speaking to you, to you in a special love relationship because of what Jesus has done. He wants to reveal himself to you. Are you listening? Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word points us to our great redeemer, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for us, for what we're going through, for our weary souls, that you would make Jesus glorious through your word. Holy Spirit, help us and give us faith to trust you. Protect us from temptation, that we would trust images or worldly thinking when it comes to thoughts of you, Lord. We need you as the creature. It's in your name we pray, amen.